everybody. Welcome okay. to episode 108 of Millennial Gaming Speak. I am Logan Moore. This is the Logan Spectacular episode that everybody's been waiting for. Join me is Logan Wilkinson. Hey. Hey there. Hey there. How you doing? <laughs> this sucks. I forgot to hit the record it's, button. It's so... almost like we've done this before. It yeah. sounds... So, for the listeners, I forgot to hit the record button. That's probably the biggest mistake I've made in doing this for, like, 108 episodes now. Uh, so, yeah, Logan Wilkinson's with me this week. Logan, give us another quick yeah. rundown of where you're at. I'm on the internet at irrationalpassions.com. You can find me doing reviews, features, previews there. Uh, you can find me at luffylogi.com. I appear on lots of other people's podcasts. And then where we left off, as I have my own podcast on Irrational Passions <laughs> called Input, with Jerry Green and George Cruz. Um, and then, yeah, so Input, listener, and Logan, um, is a more journalistic, news-oriented podcast. Usually they have like one or two like topics a week and kind of like deep dives into that. We pull from articles, other sources, like video stuff we need to, and kind of do these really in-depth profiles of like either topics or like events that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I described it as the show that I've always wanted to do, and it is that. As somebody with a very strong like journalistic bent to me, um, I love stuff like that. We frequently quote people like Jason Schreier, Patrick Klepek, uh, the work of just Kotaku, Polygon, Waypoint in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, to me, I think the show is at its best when we did something like a few weeks ago now when the events in like, Charlottesville happened. Yeah, um, we did like the first thirty minutes of that episode dedicated to the events in Charlottesville, um, Discord's reaction to it, the like kind of the connection to GamerGate and the controversy around that, and it was really like kind of social and cultural and like, political games discussion, and it's like this is what I want to be doing in the industry, and like this is what I want to be like talking about in general, and so it was a really like proud moment. Like this is something that we're like, I don't know. I, I hope in some small way is what I would say. Like it can help kind of make the games industry a bit more journalistic and a bit more kind of thoughtful and like analytical and how its critiques are. Yeah. And then we can also do, you know, the hot takey, funny, goofy stuff as well. But I think there's a place for both of those. Yeah. And I mean, it just depends on the week too. Like, obviously there's plenty of weeks where nothing happens and there's nothing to talk about. And then that's maybe when you goof off a little bit more, but yeah, I I think that's, I mean, like last week, I mean, like last week, not to interrupt, no, um, go ahead. It, we like, it was a bit slower for Newsweek until we spent like the entire time talking about like Japanese games and like their sudden like reemergence and like resurgence in this year. Right? And so it's a definitely a less like heavy, serious, like mindy kind of topic than Charlottesville and racism and mm-hmm. like cultural, like institutionalized sexism and stuff like that. And so it's like, there's a place for both those in the games industry. My, the thing that I've always felt in the industry is that I feel like there's always been a far stronger lint, like bent towards kind of the sillier and goofy stuff, which I adore. I love. I mean, I'm a huge fan of like the kind of funny guys and like IGN in general, like Beyond and all these different game spot and everything. Um, but I also think there's a place for the more like Patrick Klepik, Jason Trier, Austin Walker, kind of more serious, even like, if not in the industry anymore, but like Colin Moriarty when he was in like the giant yeah. like history of pieces and Colin was right. And I think there's a place for both of those to coexist and to kind of flourish together. 
that's always that's what's been interesting to me to to me over the past few years is that you're getting a mix of a little bit of just whatever you want is like a viewer or a consumer of these products like there's a lot more sites that are popping up now that are a little bit more niche but everybody tries to still compare them all the same like it's Mm -hmm. gotten to the point with ign whenever people are like oh they're not good journalists or they're not good uh they're not objective or blah 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 i'm like well yeah. I don't really consider IGN a journalistic outlet. Like IGN is at the point where they are an entertainment site to me more than they are mm-hmm. an actual. And that, that's not to disparage any of the writers I have no. over there. I think there's some fantastic people over there doing work. Andrew Goldfarb leading, leading their news 100%. team is fanta- fantastic at his job. But I think mm-hmm. they do cater more to entertainment centered around video games, whereas something like Waypoint is more like, okay, how are video games affecting culture and how yep. is that affecting our everyday lives? And I've liked seeing that difference between the two yep. because I think it's important to have that kind of counterbalance. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was a really good um, column was right topic where he interviewed Jason Schreier and they just talked about like the state of games, mm-hmm. like journalism. And it's a fascinating, insightful, like really, really good interview that like if you, you haven't seen it, you should go listen to it. And in that, Jason's trying and Conrad to kind of get into like this back and forth where Colin kind of complains about the fact that he doesn't think that like games journalism, games journalism is serious enough or like that it's like thoughtful enough or any of these things. And Jason Schreier just kind of teen into, I feel like the point that we both share, it was just kind of like, I think it's a place for both, right? Like I think Kotaku or IGN or GameSpot can put up an article about like ranking the top 10 like dumbest moments in games, like top 10 like silliest like characters or anything like that. And they can also have a like breaking news story about like Destiny 2 coming out or like the reveal of this or like the awesome piece about like crunch and games that happened mm-hmm. last week with Walt Williams. Like there's a place for both. And I think there are always people who are going to, I think, complain and bemoan and cry about the lack of like journalistic standards in game industry, not entirely without merit. But I think there's also really, really good work being done in the industry in terms of journalists. And like Andrew Goldfarb is doing great work at IGN. I think that uh, Jason Schreier, Patrick Klepek, Austin Walker are all doing great work. I think, like, in their own way, I think even, like, some of the kind of funny guys are doing their, like, great work, too. Like, Colin's not there anymore, obviously, but, like, Greg is doing really... He does fantastic interviews in the industry, like, among the best in the entire industry. And, like, there's a good play... Even, like, IGN and GameSpot, which are kind of the more entertainment focus or giant bomb, can have really, really good journalistic pieces go up there, right? Like, yeah it's easy to forget that Austin Walker came from giant bomb originally. And it's like, so Patrick Klepek worked at giant bomb for a little while too. Like, I mean, despite all the antics that occurred during like giant bombs, E3 stuff, like there are some of the best interviews of the year that come out of that. Like Jeff Gersman's talks with uh, Phil Spencer that have kind of become annualized at this point. are always incredibly insightful and just really interesting talks. Uh, and then they'll get <laughs> uh, Dave Lang and everybody yeah. else up th- on there drunk at, at one in the morning. And so yeah. it, it's cool to see that you can have both of those. I think we're like readers and consumers of the, like media in whole as a whole get like weirded out or not or where they have complaints is when a site like mm-hmm. Kotaku does have a lot of like really great journalist pieces yep. and then something will pop up. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw it like two weeks ago, uh, when the Shinmu trailer dropped and somebody just wrote a, a quick article, it was like, yo, the Shinmu trailer sucks. And it was like 50 words. And it was just like, this trailer is yeah. bad. Here it is. And it's like, yeah. well, how can you have something so insightful? Like Schreier's work yes. on like discovering that Mass Effect isn't going to have any, any yeah. more DLC or something like that. And then counterbalance that with this, like, 
I, I understand people's complaints when they see when it's not the same across the board, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I like that they give their writers free reign to kind of yeah. do that stuff. So, and the thing about journalism too is there's never a 100% right answer with everything. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of shades of gray with it. Yeah. What I think that is hitting the head, like, hitting the nail on the head more than anything we've said so far is that, like, journalism, it's like as an entire, like, medium is so complicated and so clouded in gray right and like that mm-hmm. i tell the story on an earlier episode of input too um about edward r murrow because he's basically the founder of journalism in the modern sense um especially like broadcast journalism um and edward r murrow is like a journalistic legend right like he's a huge inspiration on me a huge inspiration on basically anybody who's actually gotten into either radio or television or newspaper journalism in the last 70 80 years mm-hmm. he's the guy who basically established cbs europe as like an institution, like basically created like foreign like journalistic correspondents in a way. Um, was the guy who was broadcasting from the rooftops during the Battle of Britain as bombs were falling all around him and like describing the scenes and like bringing the um, like horror and reality of war to American homes, right? Like, there's a great quote about Murrow where after like he came back and there was like a banquet in his honor, one of the guys who was giving a speech said, "You finally and just." unquestionably destroyed the myth that what's happening 3000 miles away and across an ocean isn't happening at all. Kind of thing. Like he like mm-hmm. this huge game changer, like more than any other person other than maybe like FDR and Churchill, he's instrumental in like the turning the tide of like American attitudes towards the war. And like he's incredible wartime coverages and like his um, broadcast from like concentration camps and like over like B-52 bombers. So like it's incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves the war and he does two things. The first thing he does is start see it now, which is like this groundbreaking, like pre sixty minutes kind of like documentary focus, like big deep dive into news focused thing. And during one of those broadcasts, he ultimately takes down Joe McCarthy, like takes down like McCarthyism and like the Red Scare and all stuff. And like is this huge like one most important broadcast to this day kind of thing. He's still teaching journalism classes where he like brings down McCarthy using his own words. But it's also important to remember that Edward R. Murrow, even like this like paragon of journalistic like integrity and honor and like excellence, also had to have a like basically celebrity interview talk show to keep seeing it now on the air because that one didn't get as good ratings. So you yeah. had to have these kind of like celebrity talk show goofy thing where you just like walked around. He's basically like cribs, but in the 1950s. And so it's <laughs> like even at the very like embryonic state of broadcast journalism and like radio journalism you still had to kind of deal with these kind of competing interests. And I think you see that in games, I just think the problem now is that, or not problem, but the difference is that everything is so much more public, right? Like we have Twitter now and yeah. like Instagram and like the, you get so many more like looks behind the curtain that I think now it's harder to kind of not notice the differences, right? Whereas back in the day, you could watch, you could conceivably, I guess, watch, see it now and not have to watch or even really know too much about like the celebrity talk show. And that's not the case anymore. You're just so inundated with media and TV ads and social media that it's impossible not to notice the kind of the sacrifices that have to be made. But it, and like, do I wish that wasn't the case? Sure. But I also don't know if there's anything, there's nothing, there isn't anything wrong actually, in fact, with doing both of those, right? Like, Mm -hmm there's nothing wrong with having kind of more like fluff pieces and silly goofy things to kind of break the weight of substances. It doesn't make, it didn't make Edward R. Murrow a less journalist. It doesn't make Patrick Klepek or Jason Trier a less of a journalist. It doesn't make like kind of funny or Jalen Baum a less of a site. Like it just makes them more 
three-dimensional and more having to deal with the actual business realities and realities of what a journalistic entity is yeah. at any point in time. Well, that's what's always weird to me, too, is like like the people who do freak out and say that, like, oh, journalism only needs to be the pieces like this scoop about Mass Effect again, for yep. example, or something like that. It's like you realize that those don't come around every day. Mm-hmm. Like you can't write a piece like that every single day. Yep. And the people in the industry who can are pro- – I can probably count on two hands because yep. lim- information is just so limited. It takes you years to establish those connections and then get people who are willing to talk to you based on like – a personal friendship potentially yep. or maybe even just the status of who you are in the industry like at this point like i feel like somebody like schreier or Klippik, like people probably come to them and talk to them just because of their yeah where they are in the industry and their the respect that people have for them but yeah like when you think about like these like hot scoop articles or whatever yeah. like that like you get maybe five or six a year from like mm-hmm. each writer like it see every couple of years like once a year it seems like jason Schreier will drop maybe five six seven eight big articles and that's about it like sure you expect him to you expect him to do that and that's it and not contribute anything else so like yeah there does need to be a duality to it there needs to be like a little bit of the serious articles mixed in with the funny stuff but i don't know it's just a very strange thing too that people yeah. want these like high journalistic standards for Mm -hmm. video games and it's not to disparage video games or anything like that but to me i think video games are kind of inherently dumb like sure bioshock is a game where you beat people up with the wrench and go dig in a trash can and find a twinkie and eat it and then you go fight a dude in a in a diver suit like it's just Mm -hmm. weird and that's not to say that journalism uh journalistic standards don't need don't need to hold up in that industry as well but it's just this weird duality of it being such a goofy form of entertainment in a lot of respects sure. mixed with like the serious of like reporting on politics in Washington yep. DC or something like that. And I think two, two things that is that like, I think it's so, I mean, I could do an entire thing about Bioshock there. Um, I think for, particularly for like the, the games journalism thing, the reason why you have so many like silly articles or like fluff piece articles or just like goofy kind of silly things is because people watch them and people read them. And like, mm-hmm. if nobody's watching and reading these pieces that everybody like cries out about, they wouldn't put them up. Right. Like the reason that there are so many of them is because people watch them. And the reason why there are fewer big giant journalist pieces is a, because like you said, there are just not enough journalists doing that work and it's hard work and it takes a long time mm-hmm. to do it. And B, they don't get as many views generally right like again i go back to like look at look at any journalist that's like excellent in any medium whether it be like a tv journalist film journalist games journalist like political journalist any kind of thing like a regular beat journalist like the big kind of goofy like sensational news pieces are going to pop more than the like things you spend maybe a year working on right like i think a great example there that's more recent than murrow is like look at look at the movie spotlight yeah, about like the Boston Globe uncovering the like Catholic priest like sex abuse scandal, and that was like a year long like investigation piece, and like Spotlight generally takes like six months to a year to do one big story, um, and how and like those stories always get a huge pop and they're big deals, but it's also a thing of like what else could they have been doing in that year? Like how many of the pieces could they have put out? And like it's a huge drain on resources and investments, and that team is small yeah. for a reason because they can't afford to have. 50 journalists 
spending a year working on one piece. And so mm-hmm. like you have to have these smaller teams and you have to figure out where the money's going to come from. And like, I think it even like, I'm going to go back to Edward R. Murray again. Cause I think there's just, it's, it's like talking about boxing. You have to talk about Muhammad Ali. And so like for <laughs> Murrow, it's like, he won like Murrow and see now won like literally dozens of Peabody's and Emmys and like every award you can think of. He won. He's decorated with him, but most broadcasts, didn't get the numbers of the McCarthy takedown. In fact, none of them other ones did. Like most of the broadcasts were beat out significantly by that, again, the silly celebrity talk show. Yeah. That's what people wanted to watch, right? And it's like, I find it weird in any form of journalism for people to like complain about it so much when it's like, well, you might not be watching it, but somebody is, and a lot of people are. And so it's like, and more than likely, you're also watching that too. And like, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in watching like flavor flave and like flavor love kind of stuff and also watching the nbc nightly news that's okay you can do both yeah you just like you don't have to like bash somebody for participating in one another it doesn't make him a lesser journalist and then to like segue that into the bioshock talk like i i do think games need high journalistic standards and i think partially it is because games yes games are stupid and they're dumb and they're silly and they're goofy but like they're also capable of so much more and they use that like absurdist nature and goofy qualities to tell really amazing stories in different and unique and novel ways right like a game i have on my mind because i just reviewed it for rational passions last week is yakuza kwamai and it's this like weird very very japanese very goofy very absurdist very silly game with a story that is straight up like Shakespearean in its nature and like the tragedy of it and the weight of it. And so movies couldn't really pull that off in a way. Like it would just be like, what the hell is this? Like, why is this like this goofy, weird Japanese like thing? It's also Shakespearean. <laughs> like TV shows, I guess could do it, but like who's going to watch that kind of thing? But like games have such a unique role to where like you can insert yourself into these lives and these worlds and be immersed in it. And like, it just kind of becomes second nature. Right? Like I think, there's always this debate i feel like in the industry where we have to go like our games like art which i feel like at this point is mostly settled and like our game stories good are like are they comparable and i think a i think they are comparable but b i think the bigger issue is that they're different and i don't think most stories would work as movies and that that's why there's not a good video game movie yeah at kind of funny live three me and trevor starkey got into a really like really long deep conversation about like games and whether or not they would work as other mediums and i just said i just don't think they would right like how does gone home translate into a movie in an effective way right like they just it doesn't i think work in the same way and bioshock is a great example like how does that become a movie right like especially because it hinges so much on player agency with the yeah, twist at the end of the game so. exactly and even even something as to me simple as look at the last of us and Look at the road, which the last us is clearly inspired by the road. And I don't know if you've read the road. Yeah, I have. Um, it's a good book. I think the last us is better than it because I think the last us has richer characters and characterization. Yeah. I think you yeah. feel the weight of the choices more. I think you feel the empathy of what's happened more, and the fact that you're being put into Joel's shoes and Ellie and Sarah's shoes. Spoiler for last us, kind of. You should have played it by now. I mean, it's the opening five minutes or so. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, (laughs) like putting into these like shoes and like having to go through those things. So when like these huge moments happen, they matter so much more and they have so much more impact, right? And the fact that like the last of us, they have like for starters, they've named their characters, and the road they don't. The road is about the world and how like horrible it is. And the last of us is so much richer and so much deeper and more meaningful than that. 
And I think it's a really good example of like a video game surpassing its inspiration, which people would a lot of people would call like ludicrous. But I think The Last of Us and Bioshock and Yakuza Kwame and like even even something as simple and stupid as like Mario World or something like that, or like Mar like any Mario game or any Zelda game, which I'm not a huge Zelda fan, so I'm already going to get into like my first landmine territory here. But like, <laughs> like they work because they are so almost off-putting to what like a traditional, like traditionally structured narrative should be, right? Like that's yeah. not how like Zelda and Mario in particular, like those kind of style games and Super Meat Boy, like this isn't how stories are told. And so the way that you get that story, the way you get like you build your own narrative out of that is so unique to games that it's there's. I think games are special. I think games are. I think games require people to tell their stories in new and different ways, but also ways that should be held to a standard. I guess to go back to original journalism point, and I think games matter, and I think people who tell the stories of games matter, and yeah. I think that we should report that and tell those stories and tell their stories um, in a way that reflects the hard work and years that get put into them and the passion that gets put into them. Mm-hmm. And we should do that in ways that are both silly and goofy, like a three-hour-long drunken Emily's Way 2 Let's Play. And we should do that in ways that are also like just as full of hard work and passion and dedication, like Jason Schreier's Destiny 2 breaking news or like his Mass Effect isn't going to happen DLC news. And like, yeah, I think it's a place for both, I guess, is what I would say to wrap that up. I uh, I agree. I mean, there's so much. I mean, to not get too back deep into it, too. I mean, there's just so many complicated elements with video games, yeah. too. With I mean, like we, we're talking about how sometimes the stories are so unique to video games and how they couldn't be translated to other mediums. Like, I think a lot of that, too, especially with the rise of open world games, is that you'll get two hours into a game and it'll all of a sudden be like, okay, and now you can go do 55 other different yep. things within this world and put yep. the the main narrative on hold while you go do those things. Mm-hmm. You could not do those in, in any other pieces of medium yeah. or any other medium. Like if you're watching a movie, the main character is like, well, I got to go save my son, but uh, let's take an hour of this movie to go yeah. do something else. It's like, what? That doesn't work. It um, doesn't, it doesn't work and it doesn't gel. And like, there's something to be said for like, I do think that games is a broader and more like diverse in terms of like the things in that industry than any of the medium, right? Like, at the end of the day, like a book is a book, and there are a lot of different genres of books, but a book is a book, and mm-hmm. you can kind of understand and wrap your head around that. And like a movie is a movie, and a TV show is a TV show, but like games, is like you can have stuff as wide ranging and diverse as like Zelda and Horizon to like The Last of Us to Bioshock to Call of Duty to FIFA and Madden to Emily's Way too. Emily's Way too. Yeah, browser to game. What Remains of Edith Finch to like Gone Home to Super Meat Boy to like all these weird tiny indie things that like. The industry is so huge and broad, and I think that's part of the problem with covering it. I think it's part of the yeah. problem why we had it has been kind of like this like start and stop approach to the standards of games and like the standards of reporting on games because it is such a huge mammoth task now, right? Like you, nobody can play everything. Nobody can play even like a tenth of the things, and yeah, so it's it it's sucks. so hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's awful, and so it's so hard to kind of get your, like to get a wrap on like everything and to understand everything because it's just impossible. And so yeah. I think that is part of the problem too. But it's also part of the like the magic of games too is that it is so just like wildly diverse and weird. And right, like I keep saying that like my game of the year continues right now are all mostly weird shit like Emily's Way Two and What Remains of Edith Finch that yeah. like fucking make me cry. And like stuff like Horizon, which is great, is like 
not quite in the same like category as like this like five dollar Emily's Way Two game because the yeah. games are so different and special and wonderful. Well, that's the thing that's been cool with indie games too is that like I've found that so many of them hit me in different ways that I wasn't expecting. Like what remains of Edith Finch yep. was like really impactful on me when yes. I played that game. Uh, oh my whereas, god! Yes. Whereas it may not have. I'm a big gameplay guy, so like that's. I, I don't know. It's weird because I, I put a lot of stock when the game is centered around the gameplay. I put way more stock in it than I do the narrative. Like if I have mm-hmm. narrative problems with a certain game, I can usually greatly look past them if the gameplay is all right. Um, mm-hmm. But when it's story based, then the story's really got to hit with me. So I, I don't yeah. know. I'm weird like that. But um, yeah, like the, it's cool to see in the indie scene how many games are really just impacting me on a personal level. Whereas I can't yeah. think of many triple-a games that have done that i mean there might be a couple that i could think i mean of. it's to me yeah last risk comes up uncharted 4 yeah. comes up and then it starts to get a bit i mean there's like bits and pieces awful. of other games whereas like the last of us was like impactful <laughs> to me from five minutes until the credits rolled whereas like i mean red dead redemption i like pops good, in my head okay. but it's like only maybe the last portion of the game mm-hmm. like i i don't know the opening like hours i don't or so not so much i don't this is the first time we've really again had a conversation so like i don't know how big of a fan of the last risk you are last risk is my favorite game of all it's time like, it's like top six or seven for me i'd say yeah and so i think that's a great example right and i think uncharted 4 is a great example in terms of like these huge triple a games but telling these incredibly emotional and like more character focused stories right yeah. and like bioshock in a way bioshock Honestly, I think Bioshock 2 is better than Bioshock at times. What? But I do. I think... Here's the thing about... Let's do this. Let's go have this competition now. Here's the <laughs> thing about Bioshock 2 and Bioshock 1. Bioshock 1 is a masterpiece. Bioshock 1 is one of the most important video games ever made. Oh, one of yeah. the most groundbreaking revolutionary. Nobody's going to argue that. The first 80% of Bioshock 1 is fantastic. Like, almost 10 out of 10 territory. The final act of Bioshock 1, people try to act like they don't remember this, no, is I, terrible. It's awful. I played it like five what or six it? times. It drags big time. Yeah, Bioshock 2 doesn't have that. Bioshock 2 is, it's got a really, really bad beginning. I'm not going to sit here and lie. It's beginning is rough. But every one of those sections of Bioshock 2, like, ramp up and get better and better and better. It's such a, like, well done, like, natural progression and ramp up. And, like, the by the time you get to, like, the final, like, two or three areas in Bioshock 2, that is some, like, banger territory. Like, that is, like absolutely knock it out of the park and like for sure the last act of bioshock 2 is better than the last act of bioshock 1 and i like bioshock 2 because like it it builds what bioshock 1 did and does it take some of the punch away from bioshock 1 maybe but i think it takes some of that punch away and also adds a lot more punches and like the game is so smart and the way that it tackles like religion and then like socialistic like communistic like left-wing elements now going from like the opposite direction of yeah. like libertarian bin of Bioshock one is very interesting to me and like the way that it's like the bond between you and a- an actual another character in this game is actually existent whereas Bioshock one is basically just you by yourself walking around being like hey i can be evil or good but there's not, i don't really know anybody here so it doesn't really matter yeah, there's some it, like i like sophia lamb's character and yes. how everything dealing with her is uh she, she's a psychologist if i remember right i played the game yeah. again like a year ago um I, they do some interesting things with the characters. My overall biggest problem with Bioshock 2 is that Rapture feels incredibly hollow compared to the first one. Mm-hmm. I think Rapture was just really... Um, I think the way... The most important character in Bioshock is, is Rapture. Rapture. And I, I think the second one, they really fail in a lot of areas with that mm. game. Where, or just... Interesting. 
the thing the some of the sections in Bioshock 2 don't feel like realistic where it's like I, agree I that. don't know if this would really be a thing in this city but it I sounds like you guys were just like hey what if this was an idea for a level and they ran with it um I, everything feels a little bit looser. I also don't mm-hmm. care for the idea of the big sister. I think that's really dumb. Yeah, that's personally. That's what I hear the most of the big sister thing. I, I don't usually hear the people don't like raptures mention it. Big sister I hear all the time. I apparently am like one of the only people in the entire world who liked the big sisters in Bioshock 2. I, I thought like they were fighting cool them. Twist. Yeah, they were cool. They were, but... um, like, are they unnecessary? Maybe, but like, I, you could make the same argument that like the big daddies are things you could just like entirely avoid in most of Bioshock once. So it's like, yeah. so it's like I, I think there's something to Bioshock too. It's like some sort of like charm. I feel like it, it feels different, but like to me, it feels different in like a mostly positive. I think the beginning is really bad. I cannot stress it enough. The beginning of Bioshock Two is really rough. <laughs> Those first few hours are kind of rough. Yeah. Yeah, but like that game gets really, really good. It gets really excellent. I think and. Regardless, Bioshock One and Two are both leaps and bounds better than Bioshock Infinite to me, and so I'd say Infinite's better than Two. Two's not yeah. even a bad game; it's just no. not my favorite. Bioshock's, Bioshock's like the... my favorite series ever, too. Maybe yeah, I adore Bioshock. That's um, what made that's what makes Bioshock Infinite such a disappointment to me is that I feel like Bioshock Infinite lost everything that made Bioshock One and Two special. Right? Like they got rid of like the atmospheric, like horror esque, like tension filled moments and made it like a first person shooter kind of thing but they didn't really fully commit to that yeah and then i think that columbia is just not as interesting as rapture see i, I think, think they that, give you I, I like that they give you more time to breathe in columbia like the opening hour or so of that game i really enjoy yes. because there's like almost no combat at all i love and that it too, really yeah. establishes the world more so than rapture uh rapture is cool but it does everything very quickly like you were shown that intro video and you were in the city and you were being attacked by a splicer within five minutes uh i like so how good. columbia allows you to breathe um i just think columbia is super unique as well just the <laughs> entire like I, I george washington is our god we're gonna pray to yeah. him it's like what the heck yeah like i definitely think columbia is very unique and like that's that's my problem with bashing almost is that like i love columbia I think that's really cool. I think there are even really cool moments in the story. The problem is that Bioshock Infinite to me felt like somebody being like, all right, this is how you make a Bioshock game like fun, like a checklist thing. It's like, we yeah. need like a giant big twist at the end for, we don't need one, but we're like, we need one kind of thing. And it's like, this is, we didn't need this twist. We didn't need like the lighthouse thing at the end. We didn't need the like mul- multiple different, like whatever things, like I don't want to get, too spoilery i guess but like it's been out for five going on five years almost we didn't need yeah all that stuff we didn't need like the comstock twist and like the elizabeth twist like we just i feel like they just had to make it something that rivaled like would you kindly and they're just like this is not what this game needed to be like and like i feel like i feel like it's take on like a revolution was excellent i cannot stress that enough like whether like it showed an, a revolution like unfold and throughout columbia mm-hmm. was fantastically done it was really really like immaculately done but that was the like B part of that story, or like even like, the C part of that story, not the main focus. And if yeah. that had been like the main focus, that'd have been awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. The Daisy, uh, the Daisy Fitzroy stuff. I think that's her name. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of like a background story that takes prominence there in like three quarters of the way through the game, um, which it's is awesome. kind of jarring. I, I like, yeah. I like that you're at ground zero though when Columbia does yes. revolt whereas rapture you're going through and everything has already gone down and you're walking through the ruins of 
a once potentially great city mm-hmm. uh, whereas columbia you kind of get to see that like oh people enjoy living here people like this city it's got a sure. nasty under undercurrent with the slavery issues and all that kind of under mm-hmm. that all that kind of stuff but i liked seeing all of that take place and you being at the center of it i agree i do have problems with bioshock and infinite it's like also one of my favorite games ever but like i didn't like jumping into the tears and going into the alternate dimensions it felt yeah. like it lessened the experience that i was having I in my one columbia so for them to just be like now we'll just jump to another one i was like well like this is the one we're in and this is the one that i've spent like six hours in at this point so for us to just jump to another one seems like well my actions have had any effect there like yeah stuff like that and like the the problem with the tears too is that like i I feel like every time you went out of a tear and then like came back into the old one it was slightly different and i'm like but i kind of i but like i wanted that old one back and like you're just gonna be like different different ones every time it's like what's I feel like my actions don't have like repercussions in this world now because it's like radically different at some point in time when you come back into it. Yeah, it's like, which leads people to argue that at the end when she drowns Booker, it's like okay, but like that's just this one. Like, it's I, so I, I, it gets, that's my problem is that like the ending of Bioshock Infinite is such a like messy mind thing where it's like it doesn't really make any sense, but it makes just enough sense where you'd be like, all right, cool. So the I thing guess, about like, the ending that I've had to really just realize is that Ken Levine. The problem with, like, universe jumping and dimension jumping yes. is that there's no strict rules to it. So 100%. <laughs> for everybody to have their different interpretations of how they think works, they need to th- cast those aside and just look at what Levine decided works within the universe they created. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, it makes a little bit more sense. Like, <laughs> I mean, if, if you were to drown Booker at the moment when that happened, and then yeah. Levine's world, like, that is the starting point for everything, so everything after that stops, rather than there being tangent universes that uh split off from that point that's yeah. where everything stops and ends and that's what and he like, decided to go with that's my problem is that like the final act of bioshock infinite becomes such a like heady like weird like multi-dimensional yeah. everything and it's like the final act of bioshock one is such a like it's an awesome twist because like it's so like cleverly laid out throughout the game and like it, it's when you hit that moment like it makes sense and it's like a, oh shit like this is like a you've been dead the whole time Bruce Willis six cents kind of thing. And like, Bioshock Infinite is just kind of like, all right, now I need to feel like I need to like read like a novel to understand what just happened. It blew kind of my thing. mind like, the it, first time I played it. Like I couldn't sleep the night I beat it. it. Like I was thinking crazy so much about thing, it. But it's a crazy thing. That just, at least left me being like, I need to read more to understand what just happened. I feel like, I feel like it has so much just went down where it's like, Bioshock 1 was just kind of like, I understand this and it's amazing. And Bioshock 2 was like, cool. I get this kind of twist, but not really. But like, yeah. I understand this, and like, Bioshock is just kind of like, I need to read an encyclopedia now to understand where I'm at. Am I even in the right universe now? Like, where is the who is the president? Or where is the there's world? just like, like certain so... characters too, like the Lutest twins. I was like, wait, how did they fit into yes. everything? And there's 100%. like, I don't know. Like, I, I replayed that game actually earlier this year as well. And when I did, like, if you listen to a lot of the, a lot of the box of phones in the game, it's like, mm-hmm. oh. Duh. they were sure. telling me right up front what was going on in this world and i just wasn't aware of it playing that game with a fresh set of eyes is like a completely different experience and you're so much more aware of it but at the same time it also doesn't introduce a lot of those things until mm-hmm. the very last act and so that's, that's the problem that was like my problem with it where it was like okay so we really weren't hinting to a lot of this stuff in the main narrative for like the first mm-hmm. two-thirds of the game and then in the last third we're introducing it all really quickly uh i just felt like it could have been spaced out better and they could have yeah. had larger things let's wind back i could talk about bioshock and bioshock (laughs) i think so i'm in college this semester i haven't mentioned this on the show i think i'm doing 
my final capstone project, which is like my senior okay. project. I think I'm going to do like a video essay, like a four or five part video series on Bioshock and like it's Ooh. important to the it's important to the industry and stuff like okay. that. So might play around with that. Might not. We'll see. I'd like to talk to Levine though. I really would. Very excited. Um, let's go back to the new stuff because I'm okay. curious with you. So you're obviously very into journalism and you want to do, mm-hmm. you want to report yourself on the games industry. If you could, mm-hmm. my question for you, and maybe I'm totally wrong and maybe I haven't been paying too much attention to your stuff. Uh, okay. How are you trying to go about doing that? Because if I'm right, you mainly do features and reviews and previews and stuff like that right now. Yep. Where are you trying to do? Are you trying to find a way to do a little bit more of the reporting for yourself or something like that? Or that, I think that's the input is the vehicle for that, where it is a more like we're pulling sources and we're getting like yeah. we're taking other works and using that to kind of expand on this more um that way i think input to me is and i think for george and Jarrett too i mean that's that's the bin right we have a we established in the first episode there is a no hot takes rule allowed on that show it isn't like that's not <laughs> what that show is um and so like it is more of just like a like meet the press kind of style show but like where we're coming together and like we're putting like the industry and like the people within it and like on the big <clears throat> we usually like talk about like the big news of the week sometimes but we talk about it in a like very different way and less like how this does this and more of like how this like impacts the industry in a like cultural or social way. Yeah. Um, again, like the episode where we just talked about like Charlottesville and Discord's reaction to that and Gamergate led to that. And like, though, I think the way that unfolds is usually how we go. And even like last week's episode about like the rise of Japanese games um, ultimately led to us getting to a point on like the political and cultural upheaval in like Western Europe and America and like how that might have led to us like changing what we want now in games and like how that might have led to us like Do you guys know you're gonna get into that before you start the show or does it just kinda happen naturally? We we have like a Google Doc where we bring in like the different like articles that we're gonna mention in the show and Mm -hmm. we kind of all read those and share that and we have like thoughts, but it is it is that thing like we'll be like, all right, this week we want to talk about maybe like I was like, let's talk about Japanese games because I played I reviewed Yakuza I might like Japanese game now, guys. Like, it's, there's been a lot of good ones this year kind of thing. It's like, yeah. you know, that was that was the main thrust. But then we got in there and it, like, we came and kind of usually unfolds in this bigger, like, issue, right? Like, the one for Charlottesville and Discord was a thing where we are like, hey, Charlottesville happened. We should say at least something on that. And mm-hmm. Discord had this really, like, powerful statement about, like, getting rid of all of the, like, white nationalist sub things and, like, groups and everything and KK groups in there. So we should probably talk about that for a little bit. Like, I at least for me, I assumed that the we would talk about that for like ten minutes and then move on to like the second and third topic in that. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the second topic to show how much of like a jar and break that was it was like the SNES classic Pyotr snafu kind of thing. <laughs> um, and instead, what we did was we led into like it, our discussions on Charlottesville and Discord led into like this bigger discussion about Gamergate and this bigger discussion about like the culture and games and like where we are and like at that. And that ended up dominating like 35 minutes of the episode. And then we were like, all right, now the SDNS is a thing. Did anyone get that, one of those Star you, Fox yeah, 2 machines? <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, but usually, yeah, it is a way, it's a very, I feel like natural kind of thing where like when we talk about it, the conversation just flows that way. Yeah. Um, we have like broad outlines of where we want to go, but we'll kind of touch on those and then we'll kind of keep progressing and evolving from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, that's a yeah. I'll have to. I have not listened to the podcast yet. I probably should, mm. um, because that's. I mean, just looking at this show and what we do here, we just complete. I don't want to say opposite, but we don't touch on uh, 
we rarely touch on the cultural stuff or the how it's impacting every sure. people type thing. It's more just like, hey, Crackdown 3 got delayed. What does this yeah. mean for Microsoft type stuff? Like we analyze it more from, I think, a uh, company perspective more than we do and again, a, there's an like, individual perspective. There is a place for both of those. And both of those, even more than that, both of those are very important. Right? We yeah. need both of those stories, I think. We definitely need places like this podcast and like Irrational Passions podcast, like Alex's three-hour-long tour de force. Yeah. Um, and But I think there's also, I mean, at least to me, there, I think there is a lack of kind of discussing like the political aspects of games, which are very political medium. Maybe. I think, it's a, I, I, think I, I agree in a formal sense, yes. Because, and, I, and I, personally, I think where that takes place most is like Twitter. But that's a very sure. bad avenue to have those conversations because Twitter inherently be... sucks. <laughs> like Twitter is yeah, a bad sure, yeah. platform for that stuff. Yeah. I mean, like we, we'll mention Twitter things that are happening on the podcast all the time. That's what helped lead to the Gamergate thing is somebody had put, oh God, I, I forget her name and I feel bad about it. Somebody who just like that week had started working at uh, Kotaku UK had put up an article where she like interviewed, um, I think maybe Total Biscuit might've been who it was. I, I think you're um, right. Yeah. And in that, he was like a big Gamergate guy, apparently. And she was, had been like a victim of Gamergate kind of thing. But she was like, I want to hear his perspective and story kind of thing. And so it was like this really like interesting article and conversation that you had. And then she got like a lot of flack from the Gamergate people being like, well, we already just hate you, so we hate you still. And then she got a lot of flack from like, people on like the left of the industry being like, why would you even like give that guy the time of day kind of thing? And she yeah. got like attacked from everybody. And it was like, hey, that doesn't really make any sense. Like maybe she just wanted to have like, like I'm always, I feel like the person who's like discussion and like the exchange of ideas and like having conversation with people who have different thoughts and opinions and views in you mm-hmm. can only ever lead to positive things usually. And never like, if you actually just hear them out, you might be able to understand where they're coming from and either a change your hearts and minds, which is awesome. Or B, at least understand them better so that going forward, you can try to engage with people who might be willing to change their hearts and minds a bit more and actually be able to willing to kind of come together and yeah. compromise and work things out, right? And so it's like, and it's also a thing of uh, Vice had a really great uh, like documentary about Charlottesville that was mentioned in I that still need to watch episode. that. I haven't it's watched it yet. fantastic. And what I mentioned on Input when I was talking about this is that like, why would you condemn her for talking to this guy if you hate him so much? Because you can use... What Vice's documentary did is that it was almost, I would say, 95% from the point of view of like the white nationalist yeah. at Charlottesville. And what that did to me is in the same way that when Ed Murrow took down Joe McCarthy, he only used McCarthy's clips. Like he just continued to play like video after video after video of Joe McCarthy talking. And what that did, what that does is that you let the either white nationalist or Joe McCarthy or Gamergate person like hang themselves with their own words exactly. kind of thing and like just show how like ugly and like hideous their ideology is and so i think you should still even envy people who are terrible and awful human beings because then you can just show the world just how terrible and awful they are if that's the case too so like even if you hate total biscuit or any game get person you still should be like you still should be like shamed and like criticized for engaging yeah. in a interview with them to be like hey their views are kind of not cool here's why or again you can be like hey total biscuit from at least from what I could gather on the podcast is not even like a crazy hard right guy. He is somebody who's calls himself a liberal who just maybe has like some problems with uh liberal ideology or whatever. And so it's like, he's not even somebody who is like your like blood enemy. He's somebody who's like 
technically we're supposed to be on your same side. It's the exact and same it's thing like... with Colin Moriarty. It's like why are and that's it's a problem with people painting by broad strokes. Like there yes. there is these like insanely far right or far left people that 100%. we condemn, but then when there's a person like Colin who's in the middle who's like, okay, let's do a little deeper and yep. like actually put some thought behind like what is actually wrong with these people uh, on either side. What should we do with them? Then it's like, oh well, you're sympathizing with them, so you're one mm-hmm. of them as well. It's like no, like this is. Yeah. Like it's so it's so ignorant to watch people continually bash Colin or Total Biscuit or like any any of these people like that where they're like just trying to talk more often than not mm-hmm. about the problems and like and to do that you kind of sometimes need to look at both sides from the middle rather than from yes. one side or the other and while that's hard to do in cases like what's happening in Charlottesville or something mm-hmm. like that it's also still important to look at them mm-hmm. from the same perspective so that you're yeah. not like skewing anything one way or the other and that's and often I th- what i see they're trying to do you know i think colin's biases have gotten a little bit too caught up with them over the past year or so and that's i don't know i still watch his stuff i don't know if you do but he goes i don't know that's a whole thing with what colin's doing now yeah but, yeah but i mean yeah. we could we could have an entire podcast about colin already but um <laughs> we did once but- actually <laughs> quite a few people did quite a few people did i think yeah i think when he left we did like an entire podcast on him um but I, I do think there's something to be said, like, Colin was right, was some of the best journalism in the entire industry, some of the best, like, yeah. thoughtful pieces of, um, on the games industry. And he had two, he had, like, a two-party thing about games and politics. Yeah. And I say it when I watched it, and I say it to this day, they're two of the best pieces of journalism I've seen in any medium. They were phenomenally, like, researched and sourced and, like, mm-hmm. put together and, like, the argument he made, they were fantastic and he was done. doing it in the space of video content which no yes. one's really done a lot of yet. like it was like i think somebody is really going to come along eventually and like take up that mantle and do that that, that to me thing. is the future of what game journalism can be stuff yeah. like that and doing these video essays and so to see him do this like for him colin Moretti's stand and i think to i mean like my extent too is that like i don't really care if you're right or left or if you're any of these things games are political any storytelling is political yeah. storytelling by its nature is political and so like to try to be like games should get james shoot out of politics is just stupid because then you need every, robots like, any, creating them or something yeah, like that any like, kind of story is political people by their very nature are political they can't you can't remove that and so like instead of trying to remove it we should be discussing it and yeah. talking about it and like discussing what it means and discussing what it means for larger industry and for like us as a like culture and medium and stuff like that and so People who there's, I feel like there's such a huge swath in the game industry who are like adamantly against any sort of like politicized nature in any kind of game story. And it's like, a, you're just stupid and closed-minded. And b, it's so much more interesting to like talk about what this like game creator and game developer and story is like, what it means and what it's trying to say about us. And so, I loved Colin's pieces on that, and like I love anybody who's kind of willing to dig deeper into the meaning of stories and their like political and cultural and social like dynamics and exchanges. And I don't know, maybe it's because I am just an optimist and I'm an idealist, but like, I, I really do believe in the power of like the, the exchanging of ideas and right. Like this, like the like arena of like debate and thoughtful, like discord. Like I think it can and I think it has changed so much in the world over centuries and millennia. And so, like, I feel like the sudden kind of fact we were like chilling effect on that is troubling, right? Like, we should be able to 
exchange ideas and viewpoints and political opinions and political like politics in general, right, should be welcomed in games because they can lead to so many different new avenues and pathways for storytellings and interpretations and views of what life is like, right? Like, I love a game like Emily's Away and Emily's Way 2 because they gave me for the first time in video games a like window into basically my like teenage years. Like that was my those are my teenage years. Like aim chats and like this like will I won't there with this girl and like this back and forth like <laughs> thing and like the constant dread and like sweat over like everything you're typing yeah. out. And it's like is, that was so why did I say that was so fucking dumb? Like she's gonna hate that. She's not gonna like me now. And it's like that's such an awesome like capsule into that. And there's something just as like powerful in a story like Uncharted one through four, in the way they build a like actual, real, authentic feeling like relationship between Nate and Elena, and between like Nate and Sully, right? Like there aren't enough good father son relationships in games, even. And like Nate's and yeah. Sully is so well done and so beautifully told. And like these are all things that come with like the creators having an opinion, right? And like look at look at any game story you mentioned is like the best ever are all very, very, very political stories. Yeah. I mean, from Bioshock to Gone Home to The Last of Us, which is an incredibly political story. It's like, these are all things that are incorporated in politics, but they're doing it in ways that are so well done and so, like, thoughtful. And they, like, there's power behind the words and actions in the game that, mm-hmm. like, you, I, I don't know. Like, I think people who are trying to, like, this chilling effect on games and this chilling effect on an exchange of ideas just, on discussion just, as a whole, too. Like, so yes, just on discussion as a whole, right? Like, there's no... To me, there's no harm in hearing somebody out. Um, I mean, let, like, sure, if you're a fucking Nazi, then you're a Nazi, and I don't really need to hear you out. But, like, most people aren't Nazis. Most yeah. people are just, like, people who have, like, maybe conservative opinions, and they're getting, like, knocked down. People who have, like, liberal opinions, and they're getting knocked down. And it's, like, we should be able to actually just listen to each other. P- people aren't listening enough in America and the world at large today, and that's a problem, right? Like, you need to listen to be able to gain empathy. And once you have empathy, then you can actually begin to solve the problems and realize the problems that other people are having, right? And like walk them on their shoes and understand that maybe everybody isn't like these two Logans who are two white kids in their 20s and who have pretty well <laughs> off in the world probably. And, so, and like in America too. So it's like, we're okay. But it's like, not everybody's like that. Most people aren't like that. And yeah. so like, I think stories that give us different perspectives and stories that give us different avenues into the political difference that people might have right like i'm not i'm a narcissist but i'm not enough of a narcissist to say that, like all of my views and opinions are just guaranteed that's, that's fact and so it's like i want people to challenge me i want people to like <laughs> kind of come against my opinions and thoughts and views and be like hey maybe your views and opinions you've had aren't right like i've had my like views and opinions changed multiple times throughout my life because yeah. i'm willing to accept a like conversation with somebody else from the other side of the spectrum. Or I've other said side of plenty the issue. of like outlandish things on this podcast yes. just to elicit a response most of the time, more so 100%. than actually making a stance. And like, I don't know why people are so scared to have something that challenges their like views and opinions and thoughts. And like, I guess I do know because that is scary and it is like, it takes you back and like, you don't want somebody to come at you, but like, I think in the end, somebody or something that can challenge you and like, push you a little bit is how you kind of ultimately know what you really believe in what you really think is right and also how you learn new things and learn new perspectives and that to me at least is always a plus and always a benefit to society at large is this debate yeah just talking to people and it's such a simple thing too that's talking and listening it's so easy but it's so hard apparently yeah and i 
I don't know. I, I think a lot of it does really stem from the internet and from spaces like Twitter. Like I've, I've had this line of thinking for a really long time, but that's an entire different discussion. Uh, let's actually talk about some <laughs> video games. Cause I don't think <laughs> we've right, done that games. yet. Uh, what have you been into? What you... podcast? Yeah, <laughs> this is a this is an input one off episode yeah, that right. we're going to put in that feed. Um, what have you actually been into lately? Because I don't know. I mean, I see what you play here and there through Twitter and stuff like that every now and then. Uh, what have you actually been putting your time into lately? And okay, stuff? so I want to ask you about Yakuza. I'll ask you yeah, about that in a second. It's messy because I mean Yakuza. I got the I got the, given the review code for Yakuza Kwame uh the same day that sonic mania came out and so like oh, i had bought sonic mania it was like playing Sonic, was like sonic i love sonic mania and then like that evening ox is like hey here's a 50 60 hour like yakuza kwame game if yep. you want that and i'm like i guess and so like i just like shifted all of my attention to that for like the next like yeah. week and a half um and so a lot of yakuza kwame luckily i've how okay I, 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 I mean well, we may as well start there because i have here. many questions Okay. Um, because I have lots of I, answers. I have been wanting to jump into the Yakuza games for a while. Me too. And Me too. This is my zero- first Yakuza game. Okay, then that's that's good. Hopefully, you can provide some insight for me. Yeah, I've been really wanting to jump on Zero. I think that's where I'm going to start because okay. I've heard so many good things about it. Um, um, how's... we had a. Re- I was on. I got invited on Irrational Passions like Prime, like that podcast. The week my reviews my Yakuza review went up. Yeah. Um, and me, Nabashin, and Alex all talk about this because Alex also hasn't played um, any of them yet. And he was like, where should I start? And Nabashin was like, Yakuza 0. And I was like, actually, I mean, I haven't played Yakuza 0. I want to reiterate that. But like, yeah. I think Yakuza Kwame is a great place to start because it is it is the first game in the series. It is like a rematch of Yakuza 1, basically. And so like, I think I think you could start Yakuza 0 and be well off. To me, it's like starting at episode 1 of Star Wars. Yeah. Where it's like the prequels, to me, they don't mean as much if you're watching them chronologically order. You have to like have four from six perspective and then go back and be like, all right, now I understand what they're doing here, right? And in the same way I feel like Yakuza Zero came out after five of the Yakuza games came out. So like all of those like nods and what they're doing like mean so much more I feel like once you have like perspective. Um I said characters that show up in Zero, I'm pretty sure that are in like all the other games, right? Yeah, um that's my understanding, yes. And so like for me jumping into Yakuza Kwame playing that i was like honestly when i got to the end of that game i was like it's it ends so definitively and so beautifully that i was like i don't want to go forward i want to go back like now i'm like encouraged to go to yakuza zero i feel like if i did yakuza zero and just played it through it'd be like all right now i get this but like i also don't yeah. really i don't know who like majima and kiru are yet like i know them but like i don't i don't know them the same way that like, i would if i had played one two three four five and yeah. then gone back to zero and found like their origin stories right like uh, okay so with the first one then do do i think my reservations with jumping into kiwami or kiwami whatever mm-hmm. it is uh, is just that i know either it is an older game and i'm curious okay. how do the systems hold up how does the mm-hmm. gameplay as a whole hold up is it one of those things where it's like ground up they improve the game and there's a lot of extra stuff there or is it just like oh it looks better i guess that's good so I went into Yakuza pretty cautious because um, it is a rematch of like a PS2 game. Yeah. Um, and I'm with the PS2 generation. And so I was like, all right, I have a rough idea of what to expect. And honestly, I was blown away. Um, the okay. game plays fantastically, right? Like the thing, there, 
there are very weird moments in Yakuza where it's like, all right, this is, I think this is kind of like the PS2 part shining through at times, but it's not in the gameplay as much as it is in like in the weird, like in like story beats at times and the mm-hmm. way that like some things are structured. Um, the world map, the, I mean, like the world map is very, very tiny, um, especially by like 2017 cents, but even by PS2 standards, um, it's smaller than every GTA game. Yeah, it's smaller than like Jack Two is the joke I keep making. Um, it's a small, <laughs> it's a small map, but you can do a lot in that map. It's a trick. Like you can go into almost every building. You can go to a lot of different places and do a lot. Kind of like a Persona Four type of thing, where it was like, uh, yeah, Anibu's like it's like not pretty small in that game, but like yes. there's a good amount to do. There's a lot to do, and like there's a an absurd amount of side quests, like way too many, and so like there's a lot of like that kind of things to do. And like yeah. what I like about the way that yakuza incorporates the side quests like some of them will just happen naturally like you can just like walk past the guy and they'll automatically start a side quest um and so that i thought was really cool instead of like having like click a button and be like oh no it's like you walk past the store the guy's gonna pop out and be like it's go time kind of thing um i think the gameplay in yakuza is again like fantastic like the way they incorporate the four different fighting styles um how they all feel different and unique and necessary is such an important thing right like we're in so many games if you're like they might have multiple ways to fight, but you can just use one and go from there. Whereas Yakuza, you actually need to use at least three of the four, um, like and change up and like evolve them and keep upgrading each different one yeah. um, to progress. Like there'll be moments where it's like, oh wow, this like enemy I'm fighting just is totally going to be ready for anything I do, and that stuff so have to switch up or like it's the like boss. A, did you play Neo earlier this year? I know that's a new. I have not. Game. It's on the. It's on the list. Yeah, Neo. I haven't played it either. I've watched my brother play oh. a lot of it. Uh, but same thing. Yeah, you got like four different yeah. stances and stuff like that, and you can switch between them. And what I love about Yakuza, Yakuza does fantastic, mostly boss fights. Like the way that they do like boss fights is usually so well done. Like they they start to evolve and like you'll start to like knock down the enemy's health and then like he'll change his style up so now you have to change your style up to something different and yeah. then like he'll change up again and then you have to change something different like it's kind of reminiscent of like the mr freeze fight from arkham city okay like anytime you use like a different thing like he'd freeze that so you have to do a different yep. sound and freeze that new sound yep. and like it kind of feels like that where it's like he's gonna change it up and now you have to do something different change up you have to do something different and the way that it like evolves and like the the thing I, the word I keep using over and over again for Yakuza is like the flow of combat is so well. Like it just feels right. Like when you're fighting people and like bleeding from one fight to the next fight to the next fight and like his giant room works so well. Um, it has my favorite like gameplay moment of the entire year, which is uh, I started my review off this way, which is you're like walk basically into a deserted abandoned building and there's just like it's full of bad guys and you, your task is to go to the very top of it. And it's basically a cartoon at this point. Like it is like <laughs> it is John Wick meets the raid meets the Matrix, all rolled up into like this Japanese like thing. Yeah. And like gloriously over the top and amazing and that's like what, yeah, that's what I was hoping. Really to hear. Perfect. Like it like because you'll like the way you fight, like you'll fight from one and like you'll like smash into like the next heap and go to the next heap and like break down doors and get to the next heap and like start going upstairs and like knock. And it's like amazing. Like it just flows so on. It feels so good. And like you get to the top of the roof fight some guys and then jump off the roof and go to the next roof and it's like what is this game like what is like and it's so like absurdist and over the top but it's like it's this moment where like yakuza just like lets itself off the leash and just like embraces it's like just like we're a weird fucking game and so like we're gonna own that now and like it owns that in such a good way and doing that and doing its goofy silly things that yakuza is full of 
while at the same time having this story that is fantastic. Like I, the thing that most surprised me is how good the story is, right? Like, cause yeah. I walked into Yakuza thinking it's going to be a Japanese GTA game. That's what I had thought for, I yeah, guess, a that's decade what, That's now. what I've always thought as well. It yeah. is not a Japanese GTA game at all. It is very, very different. Um, it doesn't play like one, really. It doesn't feel like one. The story is fantastic. Like, it is very Shakespearean in nature. This could just as easily, like, you could have Julius Caesar, Hamlet, Macbeth, and Yakuza all one by one. <laughs> like, it would it just, but it is, and it's so stupid to say, but it's true. And, like, the way it, like, it's such a classic tragic tale and like the way that like the loss unfolds and like the grief unfolds and melancholia like just drips off everything and like sorrow and regret and it's like it's such a classically done crime story like in the vein of like a godfather movie um and it's such a classically done like tragedy period like it's a greek mythology tragedy kind of thing yeah um and it follows a lot of those same beats and it's really 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 like fascinating to watch what like these kind of classically done stories told done in a like Japanese style. Yeah. Um, and how that like breathe new life into that. And it's Yakuza is great. I gave it a eight out of 10. Um, mm-hmm. There are flaws there. Are, the flaws weirdly. I mean, I think, okay. So the fl- flaws for Yakuza are as simple as like the middle act kind of drags. I mean, they're, it's a long not, game, so I would expect as not, much. Yeah, you, I mean, you can beat the story. I beat the story in about twenty-five hours, so it's not cr- terrible if you don't do too many of the side quests. Yeah, um, if you do side quests, it's going to add another forty hours. <laughs> um, but like the story, twenty-five hours. The middle act drags. Like it's thirteen chapters. It realistically probably should have been like ten, just because mm-hmm. the first like three or four chapters on fire. The last like four or five chapters fire, but there's like middle three or four just kind of like. It's basically the girl that you're like trying to protect gets kidnapped, you rescue her. Next chapter, the girl you're trying to protect gets kidnapped, you have to rescue her. And it's like, how many times are you going to kidnap her? You're like, what are you doing here? Like, stop being. What... <laughs> Stick by my you're side. Like, Come on. Do like literally anything but what you're doing right now, basically. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you do the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, all right, the like, game can definitely be repetitive in nature. Um, I think that's particularly bad again in the earlier parts where it's kind of establishing what it is still. Mm hmm. Um, it does undergo like a 10 year time jump. And in that part where you're still in like the nineties, it definitely feels a little bit like this is a tutorial at times. Yeah. Um, but it's luckily pretty short. The biggest criticism I can give is that it's going to be weird. There are just things that happen that just shouldn't happen. Like there are things that like are like outside of the absurdist stuff. Like, yeah. Like, I mean like there are things that the game makes you play that should have been a 20 second cutscene. But they make you play, and it's like 20 minutes long, right? And the, the two that I, in particular, that are like really big problems to me is um, one time you have to find dog food for a dog. And it's like a mandatory thing. You have to do it. And you have to just go to a convenience store and get dog food for a dog. And it's like, cool, I can do that. Um, it, is, it should be mentioned before this, you had to go find water for the dog. And then after this, you have to go find something else for the dog. But that's a whole different topic. But in this one in particular, you have to go find dog food for the dog. And the game won't progress until you do this. And like, it's like, run, the dog might die. And it's like, all right, cool, here we go. And they were like, let's say, I think it's like 12 convenience stores in the city. But it's not like, a, which is a lot, but it's not a huge city. Yeah, and so yeah, like, yeah. you run from thing to thing to thing, trying to find dog food. None of them have it. And I'm like, that's unfortunate. And so like, I like go back and like, maybe it just, like, maybe it just it needs regular food. That's what it means by dog food. It might be like a weird translation thing. Yeah. Um, the game is 
all in Japanese, by the way. You have to have English subtitles. So it's like, all right, cool. That might be the problem. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go buy it like ramen and like beef and like, I don't know, like stuff I would eat. And like a dog, I would eat anything. So it's like, sure, here we go. <laughs> it's like, I come back and it's like, here's some ramen and beef. And it's like, I don't want that. I'm a dog. And it's like, all right, well, uh, I guess I got to look for some dog food again. And like I go back and like, I can't find it. And I'm like, I don't, wh- where is this dog food at? And like, I, I like, I'm banging my like hands on the wall for like 30 minutes. And like, I'm having to like recruit other people from IP to be like, Hey, I need some like, am I not understanding this? Like, correct. Have these, you not like, looked it up bad. on the internet at this point? Yeah, it's like, it's a bad chance. Well, it's, I'm playing the review copies. Like, it's not out. Like, well, I, can't... The, I mean, it is a remaster, technically. Yeah, and so... I did that, but it's like, it was weird. And it's like, uh, and like the store is a different name now. So it's like, all right, that sucks. And like, but eventually I find it and come back and it's like, why did I just do a 40 minute thing to find dog food for this dog? Like, it's just like unnecessarily <laughs> like what? And then the, re- but that's just like me being bad at games partially. The one that is not me being bad at games in, and it's just kind of like, that was weird. That was a, it was a weird decision here is, you like buy a ring for a girl earlier, earlier, earlier in the game and you get pickpocketed. And so you have to go like find the pickpocket and you find the pickpocket, fight him. And he's like, I already sold to a pawn shop. And it's like, Hey, no, you didn't. I've been chasing after you the whole time. But B it's like, all right, cool. I'll go to the pawn shop, pick it up and come back to the thing. You walk into the pawn shop and you're like, Hey, that is my ring. Can I have it back? And the guy's like, I don't believe you. And it's like, all right, that's kind of fair. I mean, I could just be some random guy. And he's like, but check the inscription. It's got a name on it. And he's like, I'm not even going to look. I don't believe you. It's 120,000 yen. And to me, it's like, hey, yo, dog, that's my ring. Give it back to me now. <laughs> but instead, your character's like, I guess I need 120,000 yen. And so you turn around, walk outside, go five feet, bump into a friend and go, hey, can I have 120,000 yen? And he goes, definitely, man. Here you go. Take the money, <laughs> walk back into the store and go, Here's the money. And the guy goes, joke's on you. Now it's 150,000 yen. And again, <laughs> at this point, I'd be like, it's already mine. Give it to me. But instead you go, well, that makes sense. You walk outside again, go five feet in the other direction. This really sounds like, I mean, this sounds like a PS2 design game. <laughs> yeah, like, like exactly. I, These things have not been in games in a long time. Like, it's such a weird thing. Cause like you bump into that friend again, ask for 30,000 more dollars. He immediately gives it to you. You walk back into the pawn shop. <laughs> The ring is gone now. And so in my mind as a gamer, it's like, oh, somebody bought it. I have to go chase him down, find him, like get the ring back, like get him in a fight kind of thing. And you go, hey, where's the ring? I have the money. And the guy goes, so I checked the inscription. It's your ring. I put it aside for you. You didn't have to pay me anything. And it's like, why did I just do all this then? Like, what was the, <laughs> I spent 10 minutes walking in and out of a pound shop just for no reason. And it's like, why, why, why? Like, just, I could just walk in and like, that's my ring. Here you go. Thanks. Thanks. It's like this, See you later. It's like this weird, yeah, like ten minute long, like mini game almost. And it's like, what is the point? Like, there are definitely quite a few missions that are like, hey, do that over We're and just over again. Screwing with you and like, yeah, and it's like this weird PS2 thing. And like, luckily, they kind of phase that out as the game goes on. But like, particularly in like the first half, it's just like, do these random things for no reason. And it's like there's one time where we have to like. So the same. Fair, so the same. I guess. I guess the reason I'm, I might pick it up. <laughs> Um, I, it's I, I just want to be fair. It's, yeah, and I I could go get it with my Best Buy discount thing for like twenty five or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, it's as absurd as Zero has looked though. That's why I yes. want to play Zero. It's less it's about very... the story and more just like, yo, you can pick up a piece of chicken and beat that guy up with it. Like it's, yeah, it's that stuff that I want to do. It's very goofy. It's got a fantastic story. It's got great characters. 
it's got very PS2 air quirks for sure. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, if, if for $30, I absolutely recommend playing it, right? I mean, like, yeah. it's definitely worth it, I and mean, you'll get, like, a lot of time out of it if you want to. Like I said, I've wanted to play Zero for... Yeah, since it came out, and I just haven't purchased I've it too. yet. So it's not, I definitely it's not gone recommend on sale, it. which has been weird. Like I've been waiting for that game to go on sale, and it just still hasn't. Yeah, or not. It's been a big success too, though. Because yeah. there was a huge. And so. six is out next year, and Kiwami Two just got announced. Uh, yeah, at least for release in Japan, I think in December. Yeah. So I don't know when that'll be coming to the states. Probably, but, probably uh, after six. If I had to guess, it'll probably do the I, six release, and then. I would Kiwami, say the same. So maybe this time next but, year. Uh, but I've been playing that. I was I've been playing that, and then the other thing that's very easy to say real quick is just I've been playing a lot of Rocket League again. I got really into Rocket League yeah. again because the game's just perfect. It's so good. Is that so. like your? Is that like your uh, one of your go to games when you're just yeah. kind of burnt out on everything else? Because Rocket like the, the game playing Rocket League obviously just like it's so good. And so like, yeah. I'll just play Rocket League all the time. And um, I actually finally this is, a, this is a quick fun story. I finally platinum Rocket League. Um, oh jeez. I had gotten every single trophy in the game, like two years, a year and a half ago, I guess, whatever. Um, except for one trophy, and that one trophy was play an online game with a friend. So I never <laughs> played an online game with a friend. So like, I all this time I was like, hey, any of my internet friends and real life friends, just play one game with me real quick, so I get to platinum. And so like, I spent like an hour playing with a few friends, and it was like, I love Rocket League so much. It's such a good. Yeah, good. I haven't played it since probably like six months after it released yeah it's yeah. been a long time i'm honestly scared to play it again too because i would probably get destroyed i wasn't too bad when it first came mm-hmm. out but seeing the skill level of some of these people now like when i see some of the trick shots people do on the internet yeah i do not understand I mean, yeah, I how yeah. they do it not that that skilled but God, rocket league is so good and like what's because like i don't know how big of a like sports game fan you are in general yeah, uh, yeah um, i was gonna well my uh the game i have been on the entire past week that i've been playing almost exclusively is i will be the show 17 i'm playing way too much of that uh, and it's yes, taking okay. me away from everything That's else really that i should be playing mm-hmm. and just pouring time into that instead so god mlb the show though is a god, that whole series is fantastic yeah like, Oh my god! Yeah, I'm I'm like hopelessly addicted to Diamond Dynasty every year. I I say it yep. every year, but MLB the Show is consistently the best RPG of the mm-hmm. year every year. And like it's it's a weird well, thing to say, but I say that to people so that they don't write it off as a sports game. When I refer to it even, as an RPG, they're like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I'm, MLB the Show, Madden, FIFA, like all these games are way deeper than people give them credit for. Like these games are really deep, and there's a yeah. ton of RPG mechanics to them, and like. Um, as somebody who's like literally gonna get him to the podcast and like probably tomorrow buy FIFA, it's like I'm like <laughs> sports games are just like they're so deep and there's so much like different RPG mechanics in them and like Madden obviously like a for starters that Madden story mode looks fantastic like I'm serious things about it yeah. getting it it's like sports games they're e- they're so easy to write off and people do um, but man like they- when they get it right there's something really special to a sports game and like, like, as somebody who I haven't seen you tweet about a few times like i know you're a pretty big sports fan like i am too so yeah. it's like i it's all of our childhood dreams come true right like you get to be the sports <laughs> that's like come on like it's amazing it's uh, you have to love it so yeah yeah uh, i play online i play people online in the show probably five to ten times a week um, nice how, how you doing 
Okay. Um, yeah. Do you play fair. Do you play Diamond Dynasty? That's like the main. Uh, thing I, I haven't play. got this year's game yet, but I've I it's usually been in the last few. It's yeah. basically the same as any other sports game where uh, you you start with the basic team. You get a bunch of crummy players. You play a bunch of games online. You slowly get money. You buy new players and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm at a point where I've got like gold level cards on every uh, every position on the field. So mm-hmm. my team is like pretty good. Yeah. Um, the problem is hitting is way too I don't want to say hard because I've gotten better mm. at hitting, but it's like real baseball. It's like yeah, I just smoked hard. that ball, but that guy caught it because yeah. that's how baseball is. Like you maybe succeed once every four times you go to the plate if you're lucky. Yeah. Um That's I mean like I don't know what your favorite sport is, but my favorite sport is baseball. And yeah, so like it's that's mine as well. Yeah. And so that's what I've always found fascinating about baseball. It's like the best guy in the entire league is good 30 percent of the time and it's like a weird thing where it's like all right i guess that's okay that's no this sport is like that you can just kick out of the league if you're like that but it's like i man like hidden in any mlb i feel like the show game is pretty rough to begin like it's always pretty hard yeah. to begin with, but yeah like so i'm not shocked by that but you gotta find uh you gotta find a because there's like three or four different ways to hit in that game yeah. you gotta find the one that just feels good to you and then stick with yep. it and even if you suck at it it might not be that you, or even if you're not getting a ton of hits, it might not be that you suck. It might just be you've ran into a ton of bad luck. Because there's yeah. some games where I will unload eight or nine runs on some people, and then there's others where it's like I have been blasting the ball all over the field, and I have two hits over this entire game. Yeah. And uh, pitching's really, if you know where to hit your spots too, and people on those games online have a tendency to swing a lot as well. Mm. And they also have, that a makes ten- sense when you, when you play as well online, like it'll, it'll bring up when you're at the plate or whatever, it'll show your players hot and cold map so that the pitcher knows like, Hey, maybe I want to focus on that part because they don't tend to get many hits there is the hitter though. If you play with the zone hitting where you get to move your cursor, where you want to, where you think they're going to throw the ball. If you just put your cursor over the cold zone, more often than not, people will throw there because they're like, oh, this dude's bad at hitting in this place. And then yeah. you can kind of start Get some rate, hits. getting some hits and hitting the ball out of the field. It's hard, though. It's just really... Sports games are hard. It's really awesome. competitive. Like, yeah. uh, Madden, at least, there's like a more arcadey element to it, sort of. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's fair. The MLB games, like, they're very inaccessible unless it's what you're wanting, which is why I think sure. they added that arcade mode this year. I mean, I think that's baseball just to a larger extent. Like, it's it's very hard unless you just want to really get into baseball. It's yeah. like just hard. pretty high barrier of entry, I feel like. Yeah, I am, like, way too obsessed with the sport as a whole. Like, I will mm-hmm. just watch, like, oh, Oakland is playing the Brewers. I'll watch that game. People are like, why? <laughs> you don't like either I mean, of those teams? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just bored. I don't live in the same time zone as my favorite team. And so, like, I'm watching just a lot of, like, uh, St. Louis Cardinals games. Like, just because that's what's fan? on in Missouri. I'm not, but that's who's on in Missouri. Oh, okay. I'm a Yankees fan. So it's You're like. You're a Yankees fan. I went to uh, Yankee Stadium, like, two weeks ago. Have nice. you ever been How there? was it? Yeah, it no, was I've a... never been. Never been. I want it to. It was um, very weird. Uh, mm. I'm a Cubs fan. So. Well, congrats for starters. Yeah, so, <laughs> 108 years, pretty man. Pretty good past year. Yeah. Um, I'm a Cubs fan, so I love the, how tiny Wrigley is. Like, it's just like, oh, we're walking down that's the fair. street. We're in a neighborhood. Oh, a baseball stadium's there. Okay. Yeah. It's just very small and very tight. Uh, Yankee Stadium was like a cathedral. It yes. was huge. It was insane how big mm-hmm. that was. Like, it was like two Wrigleys put together. Yeah. Um, obviously, the field's the same size, but just the bleachers and everything surrounding yeah. it was what was massive. It's um, one of my... <laughs> It's one of the great regrets of my life that I'll never be able to fix is that I never got to go to the old Yankee Stadium. Yes. Like, that would have been such an awesome experience. Yeah. Like, 
one of my best friends who's also a Yankees fan um, got to go to that Yankee Stadium, and I was just like, I kind of hate you a little bit. He also got to go see um, Derek Jeter play in like the last month of his career, and I was like, that's God cool. damn, that's like such an amazing like. I would I would have literally given like anything to go see either Jeter or the old Yankee Stadium. And yeah. so Bush that's- Stadium. To be fair, it's, that's a beautiful statement. In St. I need Louis, to go but, there. I want to go there to uh, Cubs Cardinals games just so I can yeah. get booed and it's, try, try to. It's buy an experience, everyone. man. It's an experience when you go to a Cubs Cards game in St. Louis. That's for that's for damn <laughs> I sure. I went to uh, Cubs Cardinals NLDS game three Ooh, in 2015. Wow. How was that? that? Was, uh, insane because that yeah. was when the Cubs, they weren't very or they had just got good. That was the first yeah. year that they were good. And everybody's like, oh, I guess the Cubs are good now. And then their first playoff series in yeah. like a decade or whatever, I think they hit six home runs that night and everybody was just like bouncing because they were yeah. in the Cardinals. It was I really can imagine. Cool. Um, quick baseball aside, how you feeling about the Yankees? You think they're going to... They're stumbling I, a bit lately? I don't know. They're I doing... think we beat the Red Sox yesterday. Um, and we're playing them again tonight. Tonight, on... yeah. Uh, Saturday Night Baseball. Uh, I think, I think we'll get the wild card at least. Um, yeah, there's a lot of teams that. pushing in the AL though. Surprisingly, there's, there's like ton. six teams like yeah. within three games of each other or something crazy. The like fact that. that like the LA Angels is still within like three or four games in the wild card <laughs> just makes me nervous because like when you have Mike Trout on your team. And also Albert Pujols, it's just like, eh, like at any point in time. That's what me and start... my friend keep talking about. Is it like if you just get Mike Trout to the playoffs, maybe something insane could happen yep. because 100%. he's Mike Trout. That's like yep. he's he's the LeBron or Jordan or whatever you want to call it of baseball. Like, he... but it's even to me, it's even as, like somebody who like lived in Missouri for most of the Pujols era. It's like Albert Pujols might not be. A fifth what he used to be, but Albert Pujols is still Albert Pujols. And like at any point yeah. in time, he could just go off. Like he could just pop off. Oh, and like I could I've, see him. I've been yeah. locked up in a fantasy matchup against Albert Pujols yeah. this week, and he so, has dropped twelve RBI on me in the span yeah, of so, three days. What makes me laugh too is that people are like Albert Pujols is so bad this year. And it's like he's probably going to average a hundred RBIs this year still. So he's doing not too too terrible here, guys. I, yeah, so, I think he's going to hit. If he hasn't already hit one hundred, he's going to at least. And yeah. plus, he's at like what six hundred. 15, 600 homers. yeah i mean like if he play a i don't know how you feel about it, but i despise barry bonds and i just i can't stand the fact that he has the ultimate home runs record i so hate, I, wanna, I, like, I hate him but i've come to accept that he's probably still a top 10 player without the roids i don't know it's a it's hard so complicated tricky, yeah. thing with me for that's him. what that's what like part of my anger at barry bonds the fact that like you were such a like natural talent like you didn't yeah. need to do this like like in the same way like another like my pirates numbers he was oh, stealing yeah, like even. 40 50 bases and like hitting 30 and also, bombs a year yeah, gonna, yeah 30 and like and i look at somebody like ken griffey jr um who's my like my brother worships to this day and yeah. i just can't like he did that with so much like back of his career injury plagued and it's like mm-hmm. but he played it straight up and just like honest kind of thing it's like barry bonds you could have done easily that and had way like so many steals we just played honest like you didn't need to do this right and like i also like the fact that like the best player in the history of the sport is a like drunken overweight guy in babe ruth but <laughs> yeah i i adore that and so like eat like four hot dogs and three pretzels and drink a, dude i could literally a like a beer before going out on the field <laughs> i could literally talk all day about the fact that like baseball is the only sport where babe ruth could be the best in the history of the thing where it's like this overweight 
like fat guy who like switched positions midway through his career to like fundamentally different. <laughs> and he things. was he, like, really if... good at the other position as well. Before that's he started the thing. Homers. Like Babe Ruth was an amazing pitcher too. Like he was like one of the best pitchers in the league, a World Series winning pitcher. And then was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that anymore, guys. Let's just start hitting some bombs. And it's like, all right, that's a that's a weird plot twist here. Yeah, but God, yeah, I think the Yankees will make the wild card after that. I, I fingers crossed, but like I'm not super optimistic. I think maybe next year we can have something really. They've got a good special. young team. Uh, the Cubs Judge, gave you a lot of prospects in that Rolls Chapman trade last year. Hey, we're not so, too upset about it. So yeah, that. Kind but of also, stuff. knowing us, we'll probably trade them all away anyway. So yeah, yeah, you got a bunch of money on your books. I'm sure they'll sign a bunch of people. Yeah, it's I don't know. Baseball is just a long, very complicated thing. I, I yeah. The thing is, I understand why people don't like baseball. Anybody, anytime 100%. anybody's like, I don't like baseball. I'm like, I don't blame you. I think you yeah. need a little 100%. bit of brain damage to really love baseball. Like that's the thing is like so many of my friends are just like don't get it, and it's just like I totally understand that. Um, I definitely admit that for me, part of it is the fact that I played baseball, so it's like I just have that yeah. soft spot within me too, where it's like. I can, like every time I watch a game, I can just like smell the dugout again, and I can like like it's the sand there, and like it just I feel it every time yeah. I watch a game. So like it's special, but I definitely understand all of baseball's like faults. If you have issues with it, like it's, mm-hmm. the games are long. There's a lot of games. Period. There's not um, a lot of better. action. Yeah, in a given like game. I get all of that, and like ex- I'm even worse because like my second favorite sport. Um, and very quickly become my favorite is soccer too. So like two games that are low scoring a lot, <laughs> like it's just long games, like not a lot of action might happen. It's like, but I love the like tactics involved and like the mental side of things and like how that works in both of those sports. Yeah. And, like there's something, nothing in any sport beats like a full count and like the bottom of the ninth inning and like the games on the line kind of thing. And, like that moment is just such a like tension. And you, you know, more than anybody last year and like the 10th inning of that world series in game seven 108 years it's like i couldn't breathe and i'm not even a cubs fan but it's like the, i've never felt anything like that before until like i think i think Renee davis's three-run homer is the lowest <sighs> point that has ever happened in my entire life yeah, I, I don't hate know the so much me and my dad, my dad, a Cubs fan, we got into like, a, we started yelling at each other. And it was like, sure. we're not mad at each other. Yeah. We just don't know how to express yep. ourselves because yep. we're both so frustrated and sad and want to go mm-hmm. cry right now. Yeah. That was awful. God. And then they like, won. I was, as somebody who was rooting so hard for the Cubs, like series so hard. And then to get to that moment, it's like, they're going to do it. They're just going to do the goddamn Chicago Cubs losing again somehow thing like I just yep. couldn't believe and then like when he hit that home I was just like here it is like I just like felt it all drifting like here it is <laughs> it's over man like we they were close but they got oh, and, like, and, and, then, then, and then they put Chapman back out there in the ninth and he wasn't hitting 100 on the <sighs> on the radar and I was like he can't throw get him out yeah. of this game like they could, they could knock he, one out oh, immediately God. and it'd be over and he threw so many like change-ups over the middle of the plate like 85 miles an hour i'm like oh my gosh get him out of the game yeah, like but then god like to this day like every like few weeks i'll still just like watch like the fan reactions that comes during the world series and i'm like yeah baseball is the best y'all i'm sorry baseball is just the best and sports are the best and it's awesome like those yeah. fan reactions and like the my favorite one probably still is just like the giant shot out to the wrigley field and like yeah. the slow wave reaction is like the cellular, like the realize what's happened. And it's like the coolest thing. I've, I'm not even a Cubs fan, but like 
it gives me chills to watch. It's like, this is why sports are so cool. Like, it's such an awesome moment. Yeah, I really wish I would have been in Chicago. It would have been uh, oh amazing. I don't know where I would have gone or parked or what yeah, I would have done. That's I the... just, I don't know where I would have watched the game either. Like, that was that's the, the concern. Is I thought you're of driving up there that day, but it was like, I don't know. Because you're the only Cubs fan I know. And so it's like... What was that like? What was that like when they won? Like I can't even imagine like I, a century of waiting. And then... I was. Uh, it's weird. It, it was just a relief. Um, I wrote them off when they went down three one. I was like, it's <clears throat> over. They can't hit because I don't know how much of their uh, other games that postseason you watch, but they were just getting these a slumps lot. where it was like yep. they can't hit. Like they yep. like I think in that NLCS Dodgers series they went scoreless in back to back games and I was like yep. they, they can't hit like this entire postseason they have not been able to hit so that when they went down three one and they could not hit the ball and you've got two more starts from Kluber looming and you've yeah. got uh, Andrew Miller who's like an untouchable god who then <laughs> David Ross of all t- people takes deep in game yeah. seven. Like, it, it was just like, it's over. They can't do it. So they won the game five, and I was like, okay, I feel like we're still delaying the inevitable. They won game six. I'm like, I'm just so scared to get my hopes <laughs> up right now, but if this yeah. happens. So, and then after the three-run homer, the tying it, I was, for them, for it to just be over, because that's the thing, too, is like, scheduled television that i needed to watch every night for an entire month like i was like making so many taking so much time out of my schedule to make sure i could watch all of this and be there for all of it and be present for it and then for it to just end i just like fell on the floor i was like it's over it's over like i don't (laughs) even it it didn't really like celebrate in like the joy and all that stuff until like maybe the next morning but just that night i was just like relieved it felt like somebody had taken a hundred pounds off my shoulders it was it was really weird yeah like, yeah, because it's, like, I feel like that's, man, like, because, like, the longest any of my sports teams in any sport have been is, like, a few decades, maybe, kind of thing, and so. Yeah, the Yankees I, are about to take, hit, what, 10 years, and that'll be a real, a real long time for them? Yeah, we're at eight years right now, so it's, yeah, I mean, a Florida Gators fan, so, like, we win titles, not that. Oh, jeez. So, I mean, that, to be fair, though, I have, I think. If you're a Florida Gators fan, you have like the best like tipping you had of anything where it's like in one year we won the college football and the college basketball championship yep. in 2006 and seven, And it was mm-hmm. like, let me tell you, man, that was a time to be alive for your Florida Gators fan. There was such like when that happened and we beat what made it even better is that like, I don't know what your films are, but like I hate Ohio State. I, oh, hate, I hate him. Ohio State. Yeah. And so we beat Ohio State in the national t- football game. We beat him in the semifinals for the national basketball game. And it's like, this is the best. The fact that we won and then kicked dirt in the hostage fan like we obliterated them in football we won like by 40 points it's like yeah yes yeah it wasn't even an awesome moment yeah there's a lot of uh i don't know sports is just great i mean i've been wanting to do a sports podcast for a while i don't know with who so have i um there's just the highs and lows are so great and like the stories that's the thing is that like that's why i like them and inherently i think like the reason i want to do writing and journalism and stuff is like there's so many good stories out there to tell like i think bar none the best stories happen in sports like still so good. i am a butler fan and i was a butler Ooh. fan before they went on that run so for wow, that okay. to happen i was like yeah. what is happening <laughs> what is going on right now like for, for both of those seasons yeah, yeah. and then those are the two Rajay davis three run <laughs> homer and then them losing the championship twice in a row mm. are the two low three low top three lowest moments i cried myself to sleep both years butler lost for titles. me it's for the lowest moments it's easily 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 2001 with the yankees when 
Luis Gonzalez hit that game-winning yeah. single and like games and because like, like off of the greatest of, closer of all time. <laughs> and part of that too is the fact that like it's so easy. I feel like to forget, but like 2001 was like obviously 9/11 happened. Yeah. So like the Yankees were like, I feel like everybody in the country like for once wanted the Yankees to win kind of thing. Like it was such a, like won, an like, emotional three in a row or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like we'd won three in four years. We'd won like 116 games one of the years. We won like 100 and like four that year. Like we were like, but that was the year that like the destiny, like the dynasty ended, and like. It was such a crushing loss. Like, I will never forget that when we lost game seven and we lost and it was just like, I don't like it. Was, ugh, I can't even put that into words. Like, it was such a terrible moment. Which That's like, the thing. Is Losing feels so much worse than winning. Winning feels good. Like, I can't put into words. Like, the Cubs winning the World Series, like, you think that would be, like, the highest of highs. Nothing will ever top mm-hmm. that. No, the feelings I had when Butler <laughs> lost to Duke, 10 times mm-hmm. more extreme than anything I ever felt. It's uh, fascinating. See, I'm I'm like I'm like the one guy in sports who is like, man, we win though. It is like better than anything. Like I'm, I feel like I'm the only sports fan a that says this. Everybody else is like, the losses hurt way more. It's like when we win, it is such like it is a like. Oh, it's amazing. Like, I've been. Not, I can't even like visceral. Hot, yeah, again, you're. Your I don't fan, even. You're, I have not stopped talking about the Cubs winning the World Series all year. Like you yeah. don't have to talk, stop talking about them winning for the rest of your life. Now you just yeah, pretty I mean, much, literally pretty much. Uh, but God, yeah, like, but yeah, that that Diamondback loss or like. The next year we lost to the Marlins in seven games in the World Series, and just like you could have to like see it all falling apart in your hands, and it's like, oh god, like it's it's rough. It is sports. They're good sports. You should, you should sports watch talk. them more. Uh, this is a sports podcast, right? <laughs> it should be. Um, again, like I said, I don't know if I said this to everybody else because the intro was weird. Uh, different episode this week, so we're not hitting the normal news. There's nothing happening with news. Um, and then we're not going to do topics. The topics have probably just randomly popped up throughout the episode. Uh, so Yakuza, and then anything else you've been playing? I've been into Pyre, which I can maybe Ooh, talk about. How is that? Um, good. It's more. Uh, have you played Super Giants other games? Uh, I've Bast- not. Bastion or Transistor? Nope. It's good. It's the writing is as well done as ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like mystical basketball. It's really weird. Okay, I don't I know. If, I don't that. know how much of it you've watched or anything like that. The gameplay is really cool. Um, it feels like three on three basketball. Each player okay. has their own abilities and stuff like that. But the goal is to, in the end, get this orb into a goal. Um, okay. So it's got it's got some really cool elements to it. Um, it's I've heard things from people that it's dragging and or that it's mm. that it has a tendency to drag a little bit. And I am starting to get there where I'm like okay like the narrative doesn't go anywhere for like stretches of like 30 or 40 minutes and it's just like hey Mm. uh we got to go play this next game or they're called the rights so your entire you do these things called the rights in order to like get out of this like purgatory that your characters are stuck in um so you so you're like it's like you're a travel basketball team you're just like traveling around to these different sites you meet another team there and they're like all right let's go time to show down and then you face them. It's cool. I I really like the concepts. But yeah, there are like long stretches of time where it's like, well, we just got to keep doing these so we can get out of here. And it's just like, and again, the gameplay is good and stuff like that. But it's yeah. just like the process of like going from point A to B from then to point A to B again. And then just like, it's it's a little bit repetitive. Um, but they, I, th- I think they do a good job of sprinkling in those narrative elements every 30 minutes or so where it's mm-hmm. like oh there's a spin on this now okay that's cool so like i don't know and it's obviously like really stylish just like all their other games are it's yeah. like the animations are amazing in it 
Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'll probably finish it up later tonight if I had to guess. I don't know okay. how far I am into it. But uh, how long is it like taking you to? So I think I'm about five or six hours in. I've heard That's it goes bad. for about um, maybe further than that. I've heard it goes about ten ish, if not more. Okay. Um, which is a far cry from their last games because I think Transistor I beat in a morning. <laughs> I sat down oh. with Transistor and I had it beat by like, I had I think like three hours or so. And then okay. Bastion I think is about four or so, four or five. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit longer. And because of that, like I said, I think it does have a tendency to drag at times. But overall, I mm-hmm. like the world. I like the characters. I like the overall game like the gameplay mechanic that they have decided to go with, but it happens so not infrequently, but it happens. Uh, it's not a constant thing. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of talking and world building and a lot of conversations and dialogues that happen with the characters. And it's all real. Like I said, really well written. It's mm-hmm. just more like, when are we going to get to the next big thing type? Yeah. So it's good. I like it though. So Fiction. I check that out. Yeah. That's about it though. That will be the show. I've yeah. been waiting for, I don't know. Have you been into anything else? Maybe we can talk uh, about upcoming things. Upcoming things that I'm excited for. Just as the fall as a whole. What, like, I don't know I don't know what your tendency, I mean, obviously it sounds like we play a lot of the same stuff, but what are you like really looking forward to for the rest of the year? Um, legitimately, uh, the SNES Classic. I'm very excited for that um, because yeah. I've never... Did you get one for I did. Okay. Knock on wood, knock on wood, but... Um, I I've only ever played one of the games in that console. Okay. I've only played Mega Man X. Um, so like I've never the big thing is like I've never played Super Mario World. I've never played that game. Like period or just like I've not never completion? touched Super Mario World. Okay, that's like the best one in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I am also under strict instructions by Alex and himself to not touch the game until I go to Extra Life in Maryland with him, and we are going to do let's play series of that. But <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Like I'm very, like, I, I don't have any connection to the the SNES really. Were you a Sega kid? I that's the thing. Is like I think so. Like because I'm like I've been, I like, read three, your piece four. about uh, Crash Bandicoot the other day on PlayStation Lifestyle where it was Thank like you. I think this is my first yeah. memory. Like, like I don't really know. Yeah, it's like it's also fuzzy. Like I again, I legitimately don't know if I owned a PS One. Um, I we for sure owned a Sega Genesis because we had Sonic. I remember Sonic yeah. floating around, but that was like it was my older brother playing, and I was like two, three, four. So like I just kind of stood there yeah. and like stared at my big screen. Kind my, of thing. Da- my dad used to play a lot of games too, so it was like I never played that game, but I watched an entire playthrough exactly. of it, so I am aware of it. Yeah. Exactly, and so for me, it's like I I got the SNES Classic last year, and I loved it because it's such a like important history piece of the games right like mm-hmm. this is a great like this is where it began and as somebody who has a degree partially in like history it's like i love the history of like things and where they came from like the is important for that the s seems to just like no this is just a fucking banger console like it just like bangers <laughs> all around so it's like yeah. i'm it's important i get that but it's like i want to play these games and experience them and, like yeah. mega man x is the only one i've played mega man x is great mega man regular one's great so it's like that's a good bar already yeah um i'm very very excited for that we might have to. We'll, we'll try to set something up, but uh, what? I don't know. We do. We have a segment on the show called Plane Report, where the entire the entire original idea behind this podcast, which we eventually strayed far away from, was that <laughs> Max and myself, my co-host, are millennials. Yeah. Therefore, 
we are growing up in like this weird middle area to where we never grew up with the NES, but like our first console was like the N64. So it's like, we missed out on like a lot of things that older gamers or people in like their mid thirties are like, Oh, these are like, yeah. yeah, Like these are touchstones of the industry that you should educate yourself on. So the entire, like one of the main segments behind this podcast, when we first started, which we have recently again, reestablished because we think it's important is going back, playing old games and then coming back after spending time with them or beating them or whatever and being like hey here's our verdict on this game we did that Mm -hmm. recently with sonic one and two because sonic mania was coming out uh we've kind of been waiting for the snes classic to come out because there's like a good amount of games on there that we haven't played uh if there's anything on there that you play that we haven't played as well then maybe we can yeah we'll figure that out i'll I'll, I'll let you know about that what else are you like looking forward to it on it like to mainly play because like there's a couple things on there like uh secret of mana on there yep. is, that, is that one of them and then uh secret final fantasy three slash six uh in japan which is like the one people consider to be the best um i'm googling the, the games on it now so i don't there's a lot of uh earthbound i've never played <laughs> i've never played earthbound, earthbound has been one on our list that we've been telling ourselves we need to go back to and then mm-hmm. like, have a segment on eventually um but yeah that'd be fun to include another yeah. person for that for once so i would i'm definitely here we go. Like Star Fox too, obviously. But yeah. um, Super Mario World. Uh, I've never played Link to a Past. I we um, so that was one of the first we actually did ever for the segment. So we have done uh, that one. Never done Super Metroid. I've never done F Zero. Never done Castlevania. Me neither. Donkey Kong Country. Uh, Yoshi's Island. Never done. Contra. Never done. Okay. Earthbound. I mean, like literally, I've only played one like, game on this console. All of them. Yeah. Minutes. Yeah. So. Um. But yeah, I'm very like that might be the thing I'm most excited for this year, which just seems weird to say. But I'm very excited for that. I'm like legitimately really excited for the new Call of Duty game. Um, yeah, I've got an eye on that one as well. I don't know. What as somebody thing. who like I don't know how you feel about Call of Duty, but like I play the like campaign every year, and that's it. I don't yeah. care about the multiplayer, but the campaigns are usually really great. Yeah. Um, Infinite Warfare's last year was in my top five game of the year list um, i really liked fantastic. it so i took yes. like a two-year break from call of duty and then i heard good I things too. about infinite warfare and i'm like you know i'm gonna yep. try this out uh i think black ops 2 to black ops 3 everything from there so that ghost mm-hmm. advanced warfare ghost is rough and uh black ops 3 i skipped all those and yeah and i was like you know i've heard good things about infinite warfare the entire idea of there being like side quests to me sounds yeah. kind of interesting it's a freaking great game i really like it game. yeah and it's re- it's way more like melancholy and sad than i thought it'd be like it's a yeah. very like somber game and yeah. i really really dug that like style of quality and so them doing going back to world war ii it's like all right i'm down for that i, I love and that's that such a fresh thing yeah ironic, right? like, isn't strangely? it weird to say yeah it's been like, like 10 years somebody in like the same age as i am where it's like as millennials we grew up in the pc generation with like world war ii shooters everywhere yep. so if you're like that to be like a novel new thing now it's like man that's a weird like thing is going full circle here um I'm very, very excited for that. I'm super excited for Battlefront 2. Same oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I played that at E3. Um, it's great. You should be excited. Yeah, it's I'm good. <laughs> not shocked. I mean, like, that's the thing. is like Battlefront 1, for all the crap it got, like, it played great, and it yeah. looked beautiful. Like, the only thing it was missing was that story. So if they have a good story, and this story looks fantastic, it's like, I'm ready for that. And I'm they're bringing back that. classes, which I appreciate from the yeah. original. Well, it's it's more of a Battlefield thing now, but the original games had classes too. Yeah, yeah dude, I did like 90 to 100 hours of the first Battlefront or the 2015 one or whatever. Like I got really into it for some reason. I'm like, I played the first Battlefront a lot, 
but like the PS2 Battlefronts, I are legitimately probably some of like my all-time most played games. Yep, like I probably. put hundred hours in there was at least like so mm-hmm. much time into those games. Um, so I'm very excited for that. And then uh, Red Dead Redemption got bumped, so that doesn't count anymore. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something that I'm gonna. Regret uh, let me I'll... see. Let me run. Let me run down some ones in my head off the top of my head. Uh, Shadow of War is in nope. October. Uh, Couldn't care less Assassin's about it. Creed. Nope. Oh, but that led me to Wolfenstein too. Wolfenstein. Yes. Which I'm very. I I adore Wolfenstein. One. Yeah. Again. Again. I'm a huge like. World War II is like one of my favorite areas in history. As, as somebody who again has like a degree in this, and so like I anything in there, and the first Wolfenstein, the gameplay, the way they did again, the way that like that story. They made a Wolfenstein game emotional <laughs> and like somber and like serious and like super well done. It's like, all right, give me a yeah. second one now, like even better. Here we go. And the first one or the second one's already doing those things like very early on. I played the, so I played that demo level you probably have mm-hmm. heard about or whatever, uh, the wheelchair stuff, which is like all great. It's it's like <laughs> it, like if, like if that sequence was in the first Wolfenstein, it would have been like a top two or three sequence in that entire game. So wow. for them to come okay. out of the gate firing wow. with that, okay. it's like. All right, I have no idea what the rest of this game is going to be like if that's the opening. It's super encouraging. Okay. Um, awesome. But yeah, it's also hitting those like same emotional beats where you're mm-hmm. like feeling real weird about stuff at the same time. Yeah. Where it's like, ah oh, man, like there's some weird stuff going on. With this like I'm killing Nazis and blowing them to a thousand pieces, but I'm also having some odd feelings about some things that are happening here as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, the second one's already doing that like 20 minutes into the game. And I'm like, this is that's, a very good sign for this game. That's fantastic. Awesome. I'm really excited for that. Uh, I don't know. South Park's coming out. Uh, no. Cuphead is this month. Destiny no, 2 is this week. Uh, if I have, I mean, like, I keep saying that I'm going to get a Switch whenever, like, Super Mario Odyssey comes out. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if that happens. But, like, I'm very excited for Super Mario Odyssey. Like, that yeah, game looks it. very different. It's like, it's like Banjo. In an, yeah, encouraged by how different it is. Um, especially because, like, you can't do, like, a Super Mario Galaxy 3. It just, like, we've nailed it. Although Galaxy 2 is perfect. I mean, I'm, um, I'm fine if you want to do that. Go yeah. ahead, Nintendo. But, but, yeah. I love the fact that, they're, like, Branch out doing something so different and so, like, weird to what, like, a 3D Mario game is supposed to be. And it's, like, mm-hmm. I keep hearing and reading. Um, like, it's, like, very, like, Mario 64-esque. And it's, like, all right, I can get down with it. I Obviously, as again, somebody who grew up with the N64, I revere Mario 64. That is like the first game I ever beat. So I'm very excited for that. Still never played it. I think I mentioned that the other oh. day on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, because you said something to me about it. I, I did. Like, I've I did. never played that game. <laughs> or I've played like Bomb on Battlefield. Bomb Battlefield. Bomb Battlefield's about, great, to be that's fair. That's about it. I just rented it from Blockbuster all the time. I'm like, oh, I'll start over you on gotta, this game. You got to play Super Mario 64. That's one of the ones that's on our short it's list for definitely. that that's segment a great at some point game. as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of other stuff. Um, I mean, kind of. Those are the big ones, though, <laughs> um, that I can yeah. think of off the top of my head. We named, we named a lot, I feel like, so... Yeah. How are you? Uh, are you a Destiny guy, though? This is the last thing I'll bring up, because I know you got to get out of here. I think it's... I don't even know. Uh, I Like, I played Destiny 1. I'm not a I Destiny was, guy, too, by the way. Just I was disappointed, because I thought Destiny was going to have, like, an amazing story. Yeah. It's great gameplay. The story was just such a mess, and so it's like, that's kind of a letdown. Destiny 2, um, I'm like, I feel like I'm almost the odd man out at Irrational Passions, where, like, <laughs> all of the hosts of the main podcast, and then, like, both of the hosts on input are like huge Destiny guys, and so like, eh, I like Destiny, but the story kind of sucked. And this one looks kind of like the same, so it's like, yeah, oh. yeah. I but, uh, 
I don't know. I'm I'm re- curious by I it. I don't right. like it, and I have. Uh, or it's not. It's not even that I don't like. It. I have just trashed Destiny. I sure. can't tell you how many times on this podcast. And for some reason, as it nears release, I legitimately think I might buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally get that. It's, it's like me and just, Zelda. It's like it's just a huge. Um, area with like it's kind of carved out its own niche within the industry and i just cannot speak on it whatsoever and i feel bad about that that i can't speak on it um so if i want to get in i feel like the best time is of course launch day because i know like 10 people who are getting it then yeah and if i want to play and if i want to actually understand this thing and like give it another shot for real and not like have these preconceived notions that i built up over two years or three years at this point whatever it is to like continue to linger while this second game's lifespan starts i'm thinking about just giving it a shot and uh i might do that we'll have to see but i i don't know i shouldn't spend the money but i i i want to know more about this game and why it's like drawn so many people to it because it's obviously got something there yeah the, so. the story of destiny is definitely a fascinating one so yeah i agree uh you got to get out of here don't you i'm sure i mean this entire show has not had structure we've just been talking <laughs> so i'm sure we could continue to do that but I, we'll put a hard stop on it now because i know you got to get out of here and i actually kind of do as well uh, so thanks everybody for listening to episode number 108 of Millennial Gaming Speak, the Logan special. Um, yes, I'm 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 upset that I messed up the recording at the beginning, but that's, that's okay. Right. We ran right into we got into a yeah. larger discussion quicker because of it. Um, Logan, yes, where can they find you at on the Twitters and all that other internet, all that good you can, stuff? You can find me on Twitter at Lefty Logie, um, or Lefty Loggy. Apparently, it's very divisive how you pronounce it. Is it L-O-G-G-Y? L-O-G-G-Y. It's very divisive, apparently. Yeah, as a Logan I myself, would... I think I would go E-Y, personally, but that's just It's me. the thing that I keep saying. <laughs> I didn't make the nickname. My younger, co- like, baby cousin made the nickname years ago. He wrote it out that way and said Logie, and I was like, all right, cool. And then it was a thing of, like, you don't question that ever again. And so it's <laughs> like, I put it out on Twitter, and apparently nobody else thought that same thing. And it's like, I guess it's not Logie. I guess it's Logie, but I'm just kind of committed to it now. Um, so Lefty Logie or Logie on Twitter. Um, you can find me on irrationalpassions.com. I do reviews, previews, features, and then obviously leftylogie.com and input as well. So all over the place. Go follow them all those places. Do that. Listen to the do man. Uh, as always, you can find this show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes, as well as YouTube, I think. I don't I don't know. We may have been slacking off and uploading them on YouTube lately. Uh, subscribe reviews all that good stuff in all those locations uh you can find this show on twitter as well it's at mgs podcast and you can find me on twitter i am at more man 12 uh, and then be sure to head over to modelcitizensmedia.com to check out all of our other podcasts max has a good interview up right now with grand pooh bear the super mario world 3 streamer uh, that's a cool discussion about the life of a Twitch streamer and a speedrunner. Not a streamer specifically. Uh, he's a speedrunner. So go listen to that if you want to hear about the cool, he in-depth... does stuff. great interviews. Max does? Does fantastic interviews, yeah. He goes... Uh, he gets very detailed with them, for sure. Yeah. That he, I think uh, doing a show with him for two or three years, he is very detail oriented like i don't know Mm -hmm. how good he could have done a show like he couldn't have done a show like this or he could have sure but it would have been a struggle for him because it would have been very different yeah he needs the road marks so uh for him he is very good at interviews because he is able Mm -hmm. to lay those babies out yep and i think it shows best in uh behind the pixel so go check that out he's got a good interview up there as well as a ton of others 
Um, and then you can follow, or then you can listen to the Model Citizen Show and Reeling in the Years, which we actually have a new episode up for recently. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 108. Logan, dude, thanks for coming on here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We'll it's been to, a blast, man. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to get you back on at some point. Yeah. Maybe a more structured episode. Because like ah, I said, this was just like, yeah. hit record and let's talk. Yeah. So, But I figured it, it would be like that because that's usually how it is with most of our first-time guests. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much, everybody. Hope you have a fantastic week. Hope you had a good Labor Day. And we will see you back here next time for episode 109. Till then, love you. Bye.